Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to Judy Robinette. How are you doing today, Judy? I'm doing great. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Judy. And Judy is the author of Crack the Funding Code, which is how investors think and what they need to hear to fund your startup. Wow. So first of all, congratulations on the book, Judy. But tell us, why did you write this book? Well, well, thank you. Um, I had to write this book because I would travel around the world and I would meet these terrific founders that had just brilliant, what I thought, business models, and they couldn't find an investor. They couldn't quite figure out where those investors were, uh, and then they didn't know how to package their deal. And so I wanted to demystify the process, having been an angel investor, and I sit on the board of VCs, uh, and I've learned a lot. And I wanted to make it uh, practical and very easy for people to get funded. Wow. Now, now, Judy, for those people who don't know you, you are essentially one of the leading thought leaders in this space. You are someone who has years of experience. You've created millions and millions of dollars of success for companies. Could you tell us a little bit about your story? How oh, my you, gosh. How did you get here? <laughs> Where did Judy Robinette come from? <laughs> you know, I, I, I came from Idaho, and, and I was a shy and bullied kid, and you know, went to the corporate world and found out I'd better learn how to do strategic networking, that there was a very different power structure behind the, the uh, flow chart, the hierarchy of who ran the company. And so I read How to Win Friends and Influence People because yep. I was so shy. I didn't dare talk to anybody. I thought, why would they want to talk to me? I don't yeah. have anything good to say. Um, and so I started learning how to connect to about anybody, any resources I needed, and then I went to MIT and was asked to give a speech um, on power. And somebody handed me a Wall Street Journal and said, here's the five ways to become financially independent in America. Be a lawyer, a doctor, inherit it, or marry it. And I thought, those are out. <laughs> and, and number five was start a business. And I thought, how hard could it be? And stupid me, I did a franchise restaurant and I found out. I almost went bankrupt. Oh, um, but, you know, I, I survived that, became CEO of a public company, then was asked to look at this unknown company called uh, Skullcandy and worked with them um, a bit when uh, the founder was broke and had been bankrupt two or three times, helped mm -hmm. him and uh, then became enamored with startups. So became an angel investor. I was with Golden Seeds, one of the third largest angel investing group in the world, and I now sit on VC boards and I give a lot of talks and I mentor a lot of founders. Wow. You know, you know, um, Judy, you have been featured and profiled on Fast Company, on Forbes, um, on the Huffington Post, on Bloomberg Business Week. You are at the top of this game. But I want to hear more about that <laughs> failure point that you were at when you when you were afraid of going bankrupt. I mean, yeah. how did you go from from literally feeling you were going to lose everything to here? Tell us what happened yeah. back then. What really yeah. happened at that spot in your life? 
Well, I, you know, I was out of money um, and the restaurant did really well during, uh, you know, the summer and then some months it was down and I could see I wasn't ever going to really get out of that. Now, was the restaurant, and, the business, that was the business you had started was the restaurant, right? Yeah, that was my first one. Got it. And so I went to a bankruptcy attorney and, and I had my financials in hand and, and I was shaking. I was so scared. And he looked at everything and he said, you're not even close. And I wow. said, I'm out of cash. And he said, listen, they can break you, but they can't eat you. And and that was a powerful piece of wisdom. Uh And I share that a lot because, you know, I kind of put the hair up the back of my neck and I decided I was going to fight and I was able to turn it around and and sell it. Um, And that, you know, helped me get to the next level, which was to become CEO of a small public company that should have never been public. And they had been delisted. They were out of cash and they were in litigation, but I learned to love a challenge. And it's like Tony Robbins says, next level, next devil. Um, And so, you know, as soon as you come up with a vision Goliath shows up every time. Every single time, yes. But, you know, here I am, 66 years old, and I can tell all of you that are younger that there's always a way around, under, over, or through it. Every single time. There's no lack of resources on this planet. 7.4 billion people. Yeah. 279 trillion in private global wealth. Wow. Information doubling all the time. Mm -hmm. So many ideas, you couldn't count them, but most people are in the wrong room. And, you know, strategic networking really solves the hard problems like getting funding for your company. Wow. So so you've talked really just now about the importance of grit. Okay, never really quitting, never giving up. Can you give us a sense of who your ideal clients are? What struggles they're living through right now that they have to apply this kind of grit to? First of all, who are your ideal clients? Who do you serve? Well, you know, for a long time, I worked individually with entrepreneurs and until I uh, really didn't have time and started giving speeches. I do work with a couple of uh, companies, one that I brought from Belgrade. I met on a diplomatic mission and we now have offices in the Rockefeller Plaza in New York. So I like to work with uh, solid startup companies and help set up everything for them from their service providers to legally. So as we would call it, there's no hair on the deal. Uh, <laughs> then I help raise money for them. So that's typically what I do now. So, so I, I assume that you wrote this book for them. And by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a beautiful Crack the Cunning Code. It's a HarperCollins leadership book. You wrote this book for that particular audience. So what struggles do, does that particular audience typically go through? You know, we, you've, we've talked about the struggles you went through. What yeah. do they deal with that really makes them need the advice that you're providing today? Um, you know, the, the most difficult thing is trying to find funding. And, and, and they don't understand a couple of key things. The first one is there's no lack of money out there. Um, in the United States, we have 300 plus angel groups equally from north, south, west, east. Yeah. While New York and Boston and New York do more bills or Silicon Valley, you can find angels in every single state. I mean, last week I was on Chickie Fitzgerald's show yeah. and she said, you know, when I did my first startup here in, in Florida, I found a, an individual angel who gave me six million. Now, now that person isn't associated with any angel group. I can guarantee to everybody out there, there is lots of money yeah. 
And, um, you know, one of the big things besides the angel groups is we now have family offices. And they actually are now seeing more deals than venture capital, according to an article that came out in Crunchbase last year. And then there's um, corporate VCs, and they're always looking for deals that will help with their product lines or expand their business. So I find often that people are unaware of where the money is, who's got the money, who they could get the money from. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second part is they don't understand how to put the package together, that pitch deck and the pro formas so that they can have success when they get in front of those angels. Wow. Lots to unpack there. So first of all, you're saying that there's, there are myths, if you will, around whether money is available. And you're saying, bust that myth, money is available, right? Yes, yes. Then the next thing you're saying is, but you have to know how to package and present um, your product, if you will. How exactly do people, you know, package and and present the, the best way when they do find these investors? Yeah. So the big mistake, honestly, is people will look at this and they'll go, look how great my Kool-Aid is. I've been drinking my Kool-Aid. Don't you want to drink my Kool-Aid? Yeah. And, you know, the the first thing the investor is interested in is how am I going to get my money back? And and that equates to how are you going to exit? And what are your comparables for an exit? And then the other thing is you've got to mitigate risk as viewed by the investor. And so they're, they're investing in you and they want you and your team to be able to execute on a business, build a business. And so if you can mitigate the risk, you know, can my team execute? The second one is, can you really get that product to market? Is the dog going to eat the dog food? As the VCs and angels say, uh, do you have proof? And, um, you know, so when, when you get that pitch deck, it needs to be 10 to 12 slides. And you need to have who the team is, about your product, your go-to-market strategy, probably one page on financials. Um, and and I can send some information that you can put in your show notes of an actual pitch deck. Okay, okay. You know, you know it's interesting because uh, you, you talk about, you know, how you package and present to these. And I'm wondering, uh, partially because I know a little, about, a little bit about your partner who is a storyteller, but I'm wondering, what is the role of storytelling in that Critical. communication process, how, how, because, okay, another thing that I've noticed, I know I've got a lot of questions here, but this is very <laughs> fascinating. Another question is a, a lot of the things you've said really tell me that, you know, a lot of these entrepreneurs end up thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about what's in it for my client, if you will, who is the investor. Exactly. How do they make that switch and how do they use storytelling to really make it stick? Yeah, so you have to do that because your customer at that moment is the investor. And and I always tell people you want to get the second date. You know, they're yeah. not going to make a decision right there to fund you. So your job is to get that second date, build a relationship. And the story is critical. And I think you've had my good friend John Livesey on, who yes. is my go-to guy on pitch decks and, and stories. And he will often have people start out with a one to two sentence of what their passion was. What led them to start this company? And for instance, I I, uh, was recently contacted by Dr. Annette McIntyre, who's a retired anesthesiologist in Salt Lake, and she's built a device that measures blood loss, you know, in in the the OR. Who who knew that they they didn't have that? Um, And so instead of her saying, you know, I built this great medical device, she should say, you know, as an anesthesiologist working for years, 
one of the things that's most critical to us is how much blood the patient is losing. You know, that's much different than going in and saying, well, I've made this little medical device here and we think we're going to get it to market this way. You, so having that passion and being able to tell, articulate a story of why you did this and why you're the person to bring it to market is really important. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I can imagine that, you know, when you're trying to communicate story and you're trying to help people translate the complexities they have into something that's appealing to a, a venture capitalist, I'm sure there are some mindset things that come into play. What beliefs do your typical clients have? And, and I'm assuming, look, my world is full of um, entrepreneurs who are trying to go after big ticket clients. So this is exactly the same world that we're talking about. What kind of beliefs are blocking them from telling their story in, in a compelling way or, or from finding the right people? What beliefs do they have to change right at the beginning? Yeah. So I, I think most of it is fear. <laughs> um, you know, I, I spent so much of my life being uh, afraid. Um, and the way that you cure that, and it took me a long time to figure this out. Everybody's problem is somebody else's solution. So your problem is getting funded and the founders prob or the, the investors problem is finding a great deal. So we've discussed some of the problems that your, um, your target clients, entrepreneurs, uh, who want funding have. We've talked about some possible mindset issues. You, you said that fear is a big one and I couldn't agree with you more. Let's talk a little bit about the solutions that you bring to bear. So. In your book, you talk about several, by the way, this book is just packed with solutions, okay? But if you were to pick your top three, what, what are your top three solutions or advice that you would give for, for making that transition to find an investor? Yeah, so um, I would make sure that you have what I call the three C's. The first one is you need to be coachable. So typically angel investors, which come right after your credit cards and friends and family, yeah. They want somebody they can work with. And 75% of angels invest locally so that they can work with you. Investors will talk about they need someone with a little gray hair if you happen to be a younger uh, founder, someone that can, can really help you. So if you're coachable, that's an A plus. Because if you come in as an arrogant know-it-all, it's like nobody is going to invest. It's, you know, there's thousands of deals out there. I want to work with someone that I know, like, and trust. And by the way, no one will invest in you unless they know you, like you, trust you equals fund you. Yes. Uh, so being coachable. Uh, the second one we talked a little bit about is the opposite of fear, and it's having a level of, of confidence. So I'll tell you kind of a funny story. When um, I helped this little public company that should have never been public, uh, I went to meet with them and about three times they said, we want you to be the CEO. And I said, oh, I can't be the CEO of a public company. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. And finally I went, hello, you always wanted to be a CEO. Um, and for three months I walked around the house going, I can't be the CEO of a public company. And my PR guy took me aside and he said, Judy, when, when I worked for this big PR firm, I acted in a training video and I had so much fun that I decided that um, I'd like to go try some movie parts. And so, but I got turned down all the time. And so his agent sent him to this character actor who made him walk around the house twice a day and say out loud, I am perfect for the part. I am perfect for the part. And I did that and it worked. And I'll tell you, it'll work with you. 
And then you realize that the problem you have is their solution. They are lucky to have you here. You've got a deal that they're going to make money from. And then the third C has to do with your character. Never exaggerate. You know, as soon as I hear someone say, if we just get one half of 1% of the Chinese market, our company will be worth a billion next year. Yeah. Hogwash, you know, <laughs> what kind of dope are you smoking? Uh, you know, Facebook, Facebook yeah. never did that. Um, you know, don't tell me we've got no competition. That means you've got no market. Mm. So your, your character is on display. So one of the most famous entrepreneur experts out of Harvard, Howard Stevenson, once said, the first time you hear a white lie, an exaggeration, run, don't walk, because you'll lose your money. Mm. So those things are really critical. And then, you know, the other thing I teach people is after you've shared your story, mm -hmm. and this is before you've got into um, a pitch situation, you say, what other ideas do you have for me? And who else do you know I should talk to? So it's important that you build relationships ahead of time. And you can find these by going to the attorneys, the lawyers who deal with startups. Mm -hmm. You can get um, help from the SBA, the SBDC, SCORE. These people all know investors, mm -hmm. where to find them. Yep. You can find people at pitch events, at incubators, at your local university entrepreneur programs. Uh, OHUB is one of my favorites, Dr. Rodney Sampson out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, he, uh, just gave a million dollars for black kids that, that code in Brooklyn. I was at that event. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to one black women in tech talk that I, I gave a, a talk and, and I met Julia Collins, mm -hmm. who's the first black woman to have a unicorn. Her company zoom pizza is worth 2.2 billion. Wow. And so, you know, important to form those relationships ahead of time mm -hmm. to sit down with a couple of people and go through your pitch deck and everything because they can say, oh, you know, dude, you're really screwed on this point. You need to yeah. rethink that. Yeah. Or And, you know, we're not smart enough to know it all. So those are critical. You know, Judy, thank you so much, especially for the, the three C's. You know, I can hold it. I can remember it. C, C, C. You know, what you're what I'm hearing from you is beginning to tell me that there's a marketing story in here somewhere. So we've talked about the presentation, the point at which you've found the people you want to make your pitch. What is the role of marketing? Or, or as I like to say, building a relationship before you meet with people, right? How do you do that? Is it networking? Is it referrals? Is it advertising? I mean, how do you market yourself? Yeah. So if you think about it, the only way someone's going to refer you is if they know you, right? That's right. So Corrigan VC in New York just posted a blog and they went back through the year and looked at every single investment every single one came from a referral nice and, you know so it's people who know you like you trust you so it's smart to uh, go and and talk to people because there's always will be angels who are happy to give you some advice and mm -hmm. will mentor you and then when they believe you and trust you, they may in invest in you or they may be able to refer you to other investors. Mm. So to me, it's really important strategic networking. And that's why, you know, you say, what other ideas and who else do you know I should talk to? I read about a VC in California and he said, if you can't figure out how to get to me, you can't figure out how to get a customer. I will not fund you or nice. talk to you. Nice. And, and so it's important. But the good news is, that we now have Dick Wilson, who's had a billion-dollar exit every year for the past six years. He writes AVC, a blog, 
Brad Feld, the Foundry Group out of Colorado, blogs, all of the angel groups. I'll, I'll tell folks, go look up the New York Angels. They're arguably one of the, they're probably the best angel group in the world, in my opinion. Um, they have exactly what you need to put in your pitch deck. They have an application process, what they want to see in the financials. So now there's so much great information out there. You can get that ahead of time. And you'd be amazed when you start asking people, do you know an investor or who else should I talk to? Because literally they're everywhere. They're everywhere. You know, what's interesting is as I listen to you, I hear so many parallels with what I teach when I teach uh, consultants and coaches who want to go after big ticket clients. And the, the core thing is bring the human element. As you've just said, something which is groundbreaking that you've just said is that it's all referrals. You know, all these other little tricks like advertising and trying to be famous and, and doing all these things, people are that small ticket marketing is what I call it. They don't compare to powerful word of mouth referral marketing. And that's what you're, you're, you're saying here. So yeah, I, I wonder when you look at the profile of a successful candidate entrepreneur that you believe is primed, coachable, confident, has the character, what does success look like for them once they find the right investor? Meaning, you know, what does an early stage success story look like for you in your, your industry? Well, you know, I particularly like uh, the early stage companies and, and success is getting them funded by investors who will have their back in their future. Mm. So Clayton Christensen of, you know, Harvard fame innovation says 70% of companies pivot. 70%. So you start out with something, you end up with something else. You know, this is this is true for Viagra that they were going to use for something totally else until yeah. the nurse notices side effect. <laughs> it's been true with post-it notes was an accident, you know. Even Facebook, um, they, they were just going to be a college uh, thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And now and, they're running the world. <laughs> so for me, a success is getting that money in the door with investors who will help you and getting you prepared for a, a series A round and, and having the kind of advisors around you. So one of the things that that I say is if you look at the, the lean startup little one pager in the middle that has that value proposition, it's a, a package with a bow. I say, let's put the prettiest bow on the package we can. Mm -hmm. And that involves having a um, pretty high powered law firm uh, like Wilson Sosini or Cooley. Uh, so Cooley last year did 970 plus deals. Uh, mm -hmm. The capital that they helped these companies with was 23 billion. Mm -hmm. Now that's much different than the local yokel down the street. Uh, because, you know, money, there's great money, good money and bad money. I mean, you want to be careful who you're taking money from, but you want also your lawyers, your service providers to do more than just be able to write a contract. It'd be great if they have, you know, potential strategic partnerships. Uh, Wilson Sosini did the, the buyout of LinkedIn by Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I think Facebook is one of their clients. So you need to do some research and make sure those service providers are going to add value, credibility. And also, it's also powerful to put on a few advisors. I've helped um, past Microsoft director be on the board. And you'd be surprised how many powerful people out there really like being in the startup because they're hoping their one to one and a half percent will really equate to some money for them. Wow. So, so Judy, I could listen to this forever because it's fascinating how you can take someone who just has a dream, 
right? And put them on a path to someday become a billion dollar company. That, that's just fascinating. Could you share possibly one of your favorite stories, success stories of one of the clients that you took from that little dream and you helped them get to the, to where, to the holy grail of where they wanted to get to in their business? So, you know, I mentioned Skull Candy. And, and at the time, I was CEO of the little public company. And I had a friend who was an angel investor that said, Judy, I want you to go look at this company. And I met Rick Alden, who'd been bankrupt, I think, three times. Mm. He had no money, had products stuck in China, a quarter of a million in sales. Um, he told me how, you know, wonderful his projections were. I asked him to see his books. He didn't have books at the time. So I recommended someone to go in as his first controller, uh, created three years of financials off of bank statements and, and credit cards. Uh, I recommended that he bring in some powerful ad- advisors um, and a, a team that could really execute. He hired Jeremy Andrus, um, Harvard MBA grad who had done a couple of other startups. Jeremy was the guy that took that company public for just under half a billion dollars. And so I played a role in in the beginning of that. And that one was really what propelled me to keep working with startups. And I love the challenge. Uh, Another one is a woman doctor out of Park City who had invented a medical device. Uh, She got turned down everywhere in in Salt Lake. And and I said, you know, you got two problems. You're a woman and you're not Mormon. We need to get you out of Dodge. (laughs) And I took her to Boston and San Francisco, and she was able to find an investor for 500,000, sold the company for millions. Um, And so I've worked with companies who've had a really difficult time at the start. And I often feel so bad, just like Dr. Annette, um, because they were in the wrong room. Mm. You know, they didn't understand that this funding ecosystem is all across the nation, There's funding groups like Golden Seeds, which I've been a managing director of, that focus exclusively on women. Uh, There's groups that are powerfully now connecting to help minorities who've had, you know, one heck of a a struggle. And, you know, thank goodness for people like, you know, uh, Rodney Sampson at OHUB, who, by the way, wrote Kingonomics. Um, And so that's a a little bit of of the ones um, that I've helped. Now, and that's that's not just a little bit. That's that's like a a runway of just huge success stories. You know, Judy, if we were to just boil everything down to two or three nuggets um, that you that you would want to leave for for an audience of people who number one are entrepreneurs looking for big clients or entrepreneurs looking for VC and funding, what would your two three last wisdom nuggets be? Yeah. So number one is you need to go where your clients are. So um, I have a friend in Salt Lake who was recruited from the East Coast to come to Salt Lake. He's black and he's gay. So he didn't quite fit into the culture. (laughs) And within three years, he had this tremendous book of business. And um, I went up to him one day and I said, Byron, you know, you come to Salt Lake, you don't know anybody. And you're able to, you know, get these, I mean, wealthy, wealthy clients. He's managing their money. I said, how did you do that? He said, you know, I joined the symphony and I paid a little extra to go ahead of time because that's where my clients are. Nice. And and so I would tell people that you have to do the work. You have to be really good at what you do and, you know, get a couple of clients that can be references for you, but figure out where those people hang out. Now, another thing that I'll tell people to go 
to, uh, depending on what kind of clients, contracts that they may be looking for, is the Association of Corporate Growth, which is only CXO-level people, and they have monthly meetings across the United States. So I find many people are in the wrong room. They're going to these networking groups where everybody's broke. Yes. Uh, you know? <laughs> where, everybody, where everybody is selling to everybody. Yes. Yeah, everybody is selling to everybody. And, and it's like, don't make that mistake. Figure out where your clients hang out. Now, there's a very uh, well-to-do coach out of uh, Arizona. He charges a quarter of a million annually to work with him. People yeah. fly in from around the world to work with him. He's done some interesting marketing things. He wrote a little uh, book, self-published. Um, he gave it away at the Mercedes dealership as a gift to go out with every car. And, wow. and I think he did it with the Maseratis, the, you know. That's where his clients were. Yeah, yeah, That's where his clients were. Where is where are those clients? Uh, and you do have to do the work and be really good. And it's interesting. I tell people you have to get in there and get bloodied a bit. One of my favorite quotes is, you have to shake the tree to get the apples to fall, but it's never the tree you shake they come from. And and it's like the universe just requires you to get out there and sweat and work hard. And then like this door magically opens. And it may not be the door you were opening. Exactly. Profound. Profound. Yeah. That is just amazing. Judy, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, do you have a course? Do you have a favorite place they can find you? Do you have something that we could use to learn more from Judy Robinette? Oh, my gosh. You can Google me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do have a website that has all my, my content. I recently was on you, you, Yahoo Finance TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be on Fox News. I'm a little little excited and nervous about that one. <laughs> uh, and then my email is judy at judyrobinette.com okay. with no E on the end. Now, are and you I on do, LinkedIn as well? I'm on LinkedIn and I do try to write to every person that writes to me. Sometimes it'll take a while. I'll give a speech and I'll get 300. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy to help. And and I will tell you, my book is focused on 25 years experience of me being an angel investor, sitting on VCs, and plus working directly with entrepreneurs around the world. Absolutely. Now, talking about your book, I assume uh, just Amazon, or do you have a special yeah. offer for your book on your website as well? I, I think there is one on my website. Um, and it, and if people order it, uh, they'll get a free workbook that goes along with it. But, but let me tell you, I'll send the workbook to you. You can put in the show notes for people. There you go. There you go. I appreciate it. Judy, it has been a pleasure to learn from you. I love your quotes of wisdom. And I think if there's any entrepreneur out there that, that is looking for funding, they really got to find you. So thank you so much for visiting with us. Thank you. It was great fun. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.